It's Armageddon, Joe. Yes. You're Nuclear back. Where Armageddon. were you? Where were you when Armageddon was being prepared? You were missing. Uh, I was here. I was here. Yeah, the only, only your spirit animal, though. You're, you're Neil's flying you're, unicorn. Rainbow, here. Your rainbow unicorn. I was here. Actually, I sent my Russian agent here on my behalf. Uh, yeah. Sergei, you might have yeah. met him. Sergei. Sergei, yeah. What do you think of him? Sergei was... He's a doppelganger, no, for me. Yeah, looks very similar, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. No. Not at all. Um, yeah, okay, so you're... Nuclear Armageddon, everyone's talking about it, uh, obviously. It's imminent. No, it's, it won't be, because Elon Musk is going to save the world. Right. Yeah. Elon Musk is going to resolve the Ukrainian conflict uh, via Twitter. He's calling for peace talks between Trump and... And Putin. I mean, between Biden. And Putin. Biden. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Sleepy Joe. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's going great. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, um, we're kind of uh, outliers in that we don't we don't get spooked by nuclear talk. Um, well, f- yeah. For me, there's an element to everyone does because they're either new to it or. Well, the way they're propagating it in the media, obviously, obviously, it's something you have to talk about in a certain sense, and there is a kind of reality. It's incessant. Well, there's a reality behind that as well, obviously, because you're talking about two nuclear armed nations, well, more than two, actually, but uh, in, in terms of NATO nations and Russia. Um, so you have to talk about it, but the way it's being talked about and stuff, it's not being talked about in terms of the likelihood of it. Of course, politicians, many politicians in the West have actually said it's extremely unlikely. They've said it over the past few weeks, extremely mm. unlikely that there'd be any. Uh, Nu- nuclear exchange that, or that Russia would use any nukes or whatever there are any any nuclear war which I think is is very close to the mark but of course that doesn't stop uh, that that's just you see the odd report of that mostly on Twitter actually um, but uh, you don't see much in the way of uh, media headlines saying don't worry everyone chances of nuclear nuclear um, Armageddon or war are extremely small there is very little chance that Putin if you want to frame it in that way Putin would use nukes. Uh, although that's being said, and it's obviously the reality of the situation, you know. But uh, someone likes to spook the population, you know. Uh, what's better than COVID? What's better than a deadly virus? A deadly bomb coming mm. to get you. So, um, I mean, it's that, it's that kind of crossover between the media's penchant for sensationalist headlines and selling newspapers and getting clicks and all that kind of stuff. And they're irresponsible Use of that essentially, and um, there, I mean, you can't, you know, there's going to be disinformation if your focus, at least to some extent, is on sensationalist headlines in order to get, uh, in order to get readers and get clicks and get attention. Basically, you're going to have to spin the truth in a dramatic way mm. in order to get people's attention. So that's just the world we live in, you know. Yeah, but I, I, on this issue, I don't, um, I wouldn't just blame the media. Because if you if you notice that what what gives it legs are the quote more serious analysts, those who are either independent or you know less in it for just for the headlines. They really do watch things, events closely, watch the news a lot, and there many of them are you know kind of spooked by the the disconnect they see between the ease with, with which the N word is mentioned including by Putin, in fairness, in his speech or two. Um, he didn't even use the The word. disconnect between that, well, he didn't, but that was implied, 
the disconnect between that and the continued escalation and the rhetoric about from one side about Russians and from the other about Americans, mm. it couldn't be any worse. Mm -hmm. it's worse it is worse mm -hmm. rhetorically than it was during the Cold War. So yeah. they see that disconnect and then they're trying to fill in the blanks. And many of them are like, they think they have the scoop. And the scoop is, oh my God, things have gotten so crazy that our leadership and their leadership over there don't seem to realize the fire they're playing with. That where this escalatory uh, logic goes to is that nuclear scenario. So they, yeah. they believe they're filling in a gap that no one else... And, and so they want to grab... I'm talking about the independent, not the corporate media. They want to grab your attention too and pull, yeah, pull you into their serious discussion now about the imminent likelihood of nuclear well, apocalypse. Elon Musk is talking about that and everybody's talking Him, about it. Him, he's one, but he's but not with anyone. No, but like a lot of them are, yeah, even independent media and anti, you know, people who wouldn't be necessarily in the Western camp or whatever. Or, but that's a result of the media propagating it and governments propagating it. Yeah. And like that disconnect between the ease with which uh, governments are using uh, the threat of nu nuclear war, um, uh, apparently unaware of the implications of it. Well, obviously they're aware of the implications of it, and that says to me that it's just being used as propaganda, basically. There is the factor that both sides might be concerned that at a, you know it can theoretically get out of control and someone can... I mean, the idea of someone... Uh, is someone going to push a button, like... Was Biden going to push <laughs> Biden, Biden, you know, he'd fall... No. He may fall asleep on the button. Or he might have dropped his ice cream on the button, and that would cause, you know. But obviously, Biden, the White House doesn't play much of any any kind of substantive role in in implementing or formulating foreign policy at all, and hasn't done for a very long time. So you're talking about other, you are talking about the Washington establishment here. So you're talking about backroom people, and the same in Russia. Obviously, does anybody know how uh, exactly how you know the decision is? I suppose there's a formal chain of command about how. Uh, how a nu nuclear war would be unleashed type thing, but I think it's um, I think they all understand there is a game being played here, and that more than anything else, if I had to come down on one side or the other, more than anything else, the whole nuke uh, scare business is being used to you know to, to, to keep populations uh, in thrall, you know, to keep them kind of shocked and awed, let's say, by that threat in particular, you know. It's like, shut up, you know, let's stop fighting over, let, let, let's, you know, everybody just calm down, you know, uh, people even stop talking about it, you know, let's just, you know, it's almost like saying like the, these issues, looking in detail at the issues about the rights and wrongs of Ukraine and whether or not the US is to blame for Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. We've gone beyond that now. This is gone, you know, this is, this is serious. Right. We're all at risk here. This isn't just some armchair general chat we can have anymore. Our lives are on the line, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of the, the mushroom cloud is hanging over people as a kind of cudgel as for a chilling factor to stop right. them looking at the issue and the right. interrelated issues right. at all. Right. And that's, I mean, if you, yes, exactly. So you, if you assume, I mean, you have to assume that government's, government interest is keeping a population quiet, compliant, you know, in their place, basically. And the threat of nuclear war is very good for that, for that purpose, you know. So I think there's an element of, in the propagation of, of this nuke scare that's been going around for a little while, um, there's a big element of that in it, that it is propaganda against the masses to a large extent, and that there's no real seriousness. And that's why I say there's no real serious intent on, on the part of actual people who might have their quote-unquote finger on the button. Uh, to they, they, 
they are pretty sure they're playing a different game. Basically, they're they're operating in a different reality. You know, and that's true for this entire conflict. Uh, they're operating in with a different set of parameters and a different perspective on the entire conflict. You know, than what people pick up from the actual uh, goings on. You know, um, one thing that stuck out. I mean, I've been thinking about this that this week actually. That um, one of the things that that stuck out to me when uh, last week when we were talking about the uh, the attack on the Crimean Bridge. Uh, which was obviously a bad idea. Didn't really achieve very much, and just got, <laughs> got Ukraine smacked big time in terms mm. of its infrastructure and the Ukrainian people. You know, deprived of electricity, water, etc. Just such a bad idea, you know. Um, for some kind of some kind of propaganda victory or something that lasted yeah. two days, three days, maybe. Mm. Anyway, uh, it, uh, I remember that in about a week before that happened, there was lots of. Um, uh, the U.S. and other NATO countries all advised their citizens to leave Ukraine. Right, I remember that. Um, Ukraine, the, period, not yeah, just Kiev. Anywhere, right, yeah. get out of Ukraine. Mm. Um, and that was about a week before the Crimean Bridge attack and the Russian response. Mm-hmm. Kind of suggests to me an element of theater and all this, not that it's all fake, but that there's a lot known by both sides of the intentions. Ahead of time. At, uh, yeah, of the intentions of the other ahead of time. Um so, I mean, that would, if you follow through, it would suggest that the West, NATO countries, knew about the Crimean Bridge mm-hmm. plot and the, the attack on it and knew, therefore, about the likely Russian response or even had intel that said that this was... And, in fact, <coughs> there was re- the reports... Uh, I don't have it, but there's a report, actually, in the media saying that that Russia was planning the missile attack on Ukraine several days before the Crimean Bridge attack. So it even opens up oh, yeah. to the idea that Russia knew that there was some imminent, you know, there was intelligence chatter they were picking up of an attack that might come to fruition on the Crimean Bridge, in which case we will implement our response, which will be this response. So it's almost like playing a game of chess. You know what the other person's um, uh, series possible range of moves are. Do you know what I mean? There's, only, there's a limited... Yeah. Uh, range of responses that your enemy can take to your uh, your provocations or your, your 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 attack against them. Well, the Kerch attack was laid out um, as revealed <coughs> by Kit Clarenberg, who wrote for the uh, Grey Zone. Mm. Was laid the theory, the whole thing was fleshed out by British intelligence, right. who suggested it as a possibility for Ukraine to follow sometime this summer. Mind you, that was with, with missile strikes, so it wasn't exactly the same scenario. Mm-hmm. But it means, of course, these really things matter. are gamed into right. anticipating what the other side is going to do, such that when the bridge strike happens, they don't then sit down in the Russian Ministry of Defense no, and go, what are we going to do with this? What we do, this one and this one, I'm, I don't think that one, no, that's all worked out before, mm-hmm. they know. And well, they then, don't sit down and go, what will we do in response to this? Yeah. They don't have to start it up from, from uh, a blank, blank, yeah. blank uh, sheet, you know. Um, yeah. So just to flesh it out, and I suppose to cut to the chase, brother, you can build it up as you want. We're not saying nuclear war is something to just be dismissed out of hand. We're saying that most likely all leaders concerned understand that too, and that we're not about to go from the level of proxy warfare it currently is at right up to there. There are many other things possible in the meantime, and we're going to try and suggest one possible trajectory mm. for the next stage or tact direction this thing takes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the stuff. Um, the stuff been going on in the, in the past few days, about over the, over the past week, really, you have a significant build up of um, troops, Russian troops, in Belarus. Um, and how significant? I've got to figure some more tea. Seventy thousand nuts. Seventy thousand Belarusian grouped with a hundred thousand Russian. That's almost a volume of soldiers that's, to start. That's, a, that's uh, all Belarusians. All seventy thousand would be all of Belarusians uh, military. Uh, I mean, this is a small country. What's the population of Belarus? Nine million. Not, oh, it's small. Yeah, it's Belgium uh, size. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't really have a very effective uh, military, which is why it has this close relationship with Russia. Russia basically is its, it's a protectorate, uh, essentially. Belarus is, is a you know, it's close ally, close ethnic, political, religious, everything ally of Russia has been for quite a long time. And, um, well, used to be part of the Soviet Union, obviously. So, um, and on its position on the West, Russia's eastern, or sorry, western border with Europe obviously makes it strangely important. So there's no way Belarus was ever going to be an independent country, you know. I mean, it'd be worse than Ukraine in a certain sense, you know. Um, this is the... It's in the Washington Examiner. Um, they quote... Um, who's this dude? They quote a dude... Uh, J... Jason J. Smart, who is 2010 Russian Belarus lifetime ban for working against Putin. Special con- he's a special correspondent for the Kiev Post. Okay, anyway. So this is it. He says... Um, Russian troops pour into Belarus by the train load. Of course, look down. If you go down to the, the first tweet there, that um, the Kiev Post correspondent, uh, he's Kiev Post correspondent is quoting a Belarusian source, as it says there. Um, but he says, it's funny. I just, I love that the kind of, I understand it, but I love, I'm always amazed. It never fails to amaze me, the kind of like the rhetoric and the propaganda that they just slide in, like he says. Uh, but a known Belarusian source tells me Russian soldiers are entering Belarus by the train train load, they're traveling in cattle cars. <laughs> cattle cars, yeah. you know. So, and the, the, are you sure they're not the going doors to, are locked? Are you sure they're not going to a concentration camp? Um, so, so they can't get out. So it's he just blithely puts in cattle cars. Obviously, they're not traveling in cattle cars, but whatever you can call them, cattle cars. Go on. Uh, it should be. That's how propaganda works. You got to scrutinize Taking one for his side, you know. Yeah. And then there's a video down below that. Uh, Geo confirmed it's a. Twitter account that uh, just you know tracks everything by by uh, GPS and there's a the videos and stuff of movement of armored vehicles, tanks, uh, uh, artillery, self-propelled artillery, etc. To um, in the Belarus, so seventy thousand. Yeah, what's the point? Throw up Google Maps there, Scotty, just so we and hopefully you can. Uh, yeah, that general area. So um, where? Uh, and by the way, just just. This isn't just a Twitter rumor. I mean, this is confirmed. They have. Yeah, well, moved. Lukashenko has been talking about this for the past week. About he he talks about uh, threats that they that they've aware of threats. Yeah, terror threat. Terror threat. They're upping their terror uh, that the terror alert kind of system or their terror response, and that the that that NATO NATO and Ukraine Ukrainians uh, are. Um. Are are 
you know, planning something, he said, basically. Planning some kind of provocation. Planning yeah, I, I have his remark. Go Do ahead. you want me to say yeah. This is reported in the New York Times. Of course, they throw in their little bit of a twist. In rambling remarks, whatever, reported by the state news agency Belta, or Belarus, Mr. Lukashenko said that work had already started on the formation of what he called a joint regional group of troops to counter, quote, possible aggression against our country, end quote, by NATO and Ukraine. Yeah. So it's open. Yeah, it's actually in that article. Just put that article back up for a second, Scotty. Just go down to the um, down to text below, yeah. Those four paragraphs or so there. Um, given the worsening on the situation on the western borders of the Union state, which he means, but, but he's saying Belarus. Poland. Which is, exactly, yes. Yeah. So he's talking about the worsening situation on the Polish border of Belarus. What's, I mean, that's Poland. That's, surely there's nothing coming from Poland, right? This is all about Ukraine, right? And he says, we agreed to deploy a regional group of forces of the Russian Federation and the Republic of Belarus. Um, Uh, strike in the second paragraph there, uh, the one below, strikes in the territory of Belarus are not just being discussed in Ukraine today, but are also being planned. Put that together with problems on the western border, that could only mean, I mean, of course, you don't have to necessarily put those two together, but if you, one way of looking at it is that he's suggesting strikes on the territory of Belarus from Poland. Because mm. if you go back to our map, the western border of Belarus is... Um, Pretty much exclusively Poland. Pretty much exclusively Poland, right? Um, but then there's other interpretations of this uh, where... And isn't there a US base there, up there? I'm not yeah. sure. I'm going to try and find it here, but... Um, yeah, well, so, so other people are thinking uh, that it's actually more about a threat from Ukraine itself, which would, which would be in keeping with, um, you know, the fact that this is a Ukrainian conflict. It's a conflict in Ukraine, uh, any attacks that happened will happen from the territory of Ukraine, which means it would have to come uh, over Belarus's southern border, not its western border with Poland. So it's, it's not very clear what uh, is understood by the Russians and Belarusians here in terms of what the actual threat is for and why a, a large number of troops are being massed in Belarusia, not just troops, but all sorts of equipment and even air force, etc. Now, people have gone back to certain uh, people looking at the situation have gone back to the idea that, okay, this is actually in preparation for another faint, a second faint has happened in in, in March on Kiev, right? So right. Uh, this is an attempt to draw Ukrainian forces away from the east where Russia has, you know, is, is planning to, obviously a big part of Russia's plan is to, is to, is to free... Uh, or liberate, let's say, those four territories that are incorporated into the Russian Federation there a little while ago. Uh, it doesn't hold all of those territories. It wants to take all of those territories. Uh, it announced that mobilization about six weeks ago or so, uh, or, month or a month or so ago. And those troops, you know, they're basically being trained uh, in, in, in the ways that they need to be trained. And they're, they would, in theory, be used to... So you're talking about 200-plus thousand troops, uh, in theory, be used to deal with that situation to, to take those four regions that Russia incorporated into it, into the Russian Federation. But, so one, one analysis could be that in response to that, in order to water down that num those troops, or the Russian, the total number of Russian troops, including for the mobilization, uh, Kiev slash NATO, or Ukraine slash NATO, really just NATO, uh, is planning to... Uh, has been planning up some kind of provocation against Belarusia, which obviously is you know very important. It's hand hand in hand with uh, with Russia in this whole situation. And if it 
if they you know let it be known or becomes known that they're planning it becomes obvious that they're planning some kind of attack against Belarusia and that pulls a lot of those troops away from eastern Ukraine that would be intended to free those four mm. regions towards defending Belarusia. Mm. Um, so in a certain sense, it's either, and that could be a feint in a certain sense. So you've basically got dueling feints in a certain sense, yeah. so dueling theories of feint, basically, in this build-up of uh-huh. troops in Belarusia. Either it's the Ukrainians feinting an attack on Belarusia in order to pull Russian troops away so there's less the troops in the east, east, or it's Russia doing you know another feint on Kiev in order to push, to to... to pull a lot of Ukrainian slash NATO troops towards Kiev in order to, so that there's less in, in Eastern Europe so that the, that they can more easily conquer the, or complete the conquering of those four regions in the, in the East. Which is it? And is there, an impl- is there a possibility that this would... Um, I don't think it's another feint, basically. I, don't, I mean, obviously you can do... You can do feints as many times as you want, as you want because feints are... The person that you're doing feints against can never be sure that the feint isn't actually not a feint; it's actually real, uh-huh. right? So even though they did, they had this feint in in in, um, in, Around in, Kiev. in, in March, in Ki- yeah. uh, um, that did draw a lot of troops towards Kiev and allowed them to allow the Russians to, uh, you know, uh, make a lot of progress in the east. Um, I don't think they're planning to do anything with Kiev right now. I don't think they're planning a lot of. A lot of the, on Telegram and stuff, a lot of the pro-Russian channels would like to see Kiev taken, you know, because that's the end of the war, right, basically. Once Kiev, they've said it all along, once Kiev is done, it's done. Once, once you take Kiev, it's, it's, the war's over, it collapses and everything's good. So they really would like it to be a situation where there's uh, a push from Belarusia south of Belarusian and Russian troops uh, towards Kiev to take Kiev. But I don't think that's going to happen because, you know, that's, a, that's not as easy as it sounds. Um... So I think, in my opinion, it's more likely to be a situation where there's a known threat that has been being built up over the past while towards Belarusia from Ukrainian slash Polish slash NATO troops uh, to start something there. And it could be a feint, it could be pretending, it could be, it could be real. Um, but either way, Russia has to put troops, the threat is serious enough because the whole thing about a feint is you don't actually just you're not just pretending you're actually putting a lot of troops and hardware in a certain area and you it, you can just take them away in which case it's a feint or you can use them and the person who, who that's directed against does not know can't know for sure so the person has to respond to that build up of troops whether it's a feint or not <coughs> so that's basically what we're seeing now 70,000 or whatever troops uh, somewhere uh, 170. If RT is Sorry, correct, yeah. it's 70,000 Belarusians and 100,000 Russian soldiers. Yeah, it's hard to know the exact, exact numbers. It's still ongoing. like so. Um, so it's not immediately, it's not imminent right now, but there's something something going on. The other aspect of this is that I think, based on this mobilization, based on the status of the war right now and how it's been going, that Ukraine is basically facing defeat in the near future. And if NATO masters know that it's facing defeat in, in, in the near future, um, and that Russian troops would, at a certain point, where there's a kind of more, more definitive collapse of the of the Ukrainian uh, military, you would have Russian, Russia would be kind of have to a large extent freedom to move as far across Ukraine as it as wants. It was. But, but first, first towards Kiev, obviously, uh, and along the south and stuff. And the the NATO and you know the EU, US, basically, I think, especially Poland, has always had designs because it's on their border. It's their strategic interest, whatever had designs on Western Europe, especially since this war started, has, has had designs on Western uh, Ukraine. Ukraine yeah, sorry, Western Europe. On, on Western Ukraine. Too, so basically along the border with uh, Poland there on the left, past Lviv, 
uh, to a certain extent, however far into Ukraine. Um, and of course, if they were able to, this this that might be another situation where you have an escalation of the conflict where it becomes uh, actual NATO slash Polish troops moving into Ukraine, which is a big escalation because that hasn't happened yet. I mean, of course, everybody knows that NATO troops, Polish troops, US troops, there's quite a number of them in Ukraine for quite a long time actually fighting, but they're all under different flags, right? Are under all under Ukrainian flags. They're not under those under NATO flag. But certainly, if NATO believed that it's all gone wrong, Inspector, and um, Russia was going to take and could eventually take all of Ukraine, possibly, um, or at least put all of Ukraine under its influence, Poland, under NATO stewardship, would probably want to take a chunk of Western Ukraine. Um, but in that case, Belarusia would be very unhappy with that. And, when Bel- and by Belarusia, I mean Belarusia and Russia would be very unhappy with that because any movement of NATO, a NATO country, i.e. Poland, or, or, or NATO troops taking part of that Western part of Ukraine, that means they're taking part of the southern Belarusian border as well. And that's a big no-no for Belarusia and Russia is any any encroachment because, you know, you're basically that that's NATO moving even closer to quote unquote Russia's right. borders, even though it's Belarusian borders. And but and Lukashenko said that there's no way we're going to allow any NATO uh, occupation or control over any part of Ukraine that's on our border, on our southern border, right? on our on our southern border. Because well, we already have question. a problem on our <clears throat> eastern border. Is there any evidence of border? beyond what the pro- I mean? Is there any evidence of a massing of NATO forces on Poland's border with Belarus? Belarus? That would all be kept on the lowdown. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that the Russians freely advertise it, mm-hmm. support it, RT elsewhere. But the uh, NATO side, sh- sh- nothing. Yeah, well, because you don't, I mean, the big secret here, the big thing, the red line in a certain sense for NATO is the thing they want to avoid doing until they absolutely have to, and they really avoid, prefer to never have to do it is have official NATO troops under NATO flag and insignia, etc., actively engaged in the conflict in Ukraine, which means actively engaged in conflict with Russia. That's, you obviously know that. That's, that's the thing they've been absolutely trying to avoid. It's kind of like, I gave you the analogy the other day there, or today actually, of like me going out on, <laughs> it's a kind of bit, bit silly but uh, I think it's more or less probably me going out onto the road the public highway and throwing stones at my neighbour's house and by doing that he cannot claim, I don't I won't admit and he cannot claim that it's actually me doing it because I didn't throw the stones from my yard into his yard at, at, at his house. Right. If I do it from the road, it's public road, it's like well it could be anybody right? Who, well it's just some person on the road right? Or whoever was walking on the road that day that's who's attacking. But he knows and I know that it's me. Mm-hmm. But I make sure not to throw any stones from my property onto his property, mm. only from the public road. And then in anticipation, I prepare for defense by watching the road because that's where they're going to come from retaliation. Right. I won't say it was him right. per se. Right. I'll pretend it wasn't him. So I suppose our point here is there's a lot more scope for more proxy warfare. Absolutely. Eastern Europe's a big place. Russia's mm-hmm. border with all these countries is big. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more capacity in this for... NATO war games. Yeah. NATO, you know, smelling of roses. It, it stinks at this point, and most of the world knows it stinks, but it's still, it, it's passing off to its own audience anyway. Mm-hmm. Western golden billion that, no, we still smell of roses. He's the evil invader. He's the overt aggressor. Mm-hmm. We're just... Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah. but and you think this is imminent? I think or it's imminent being it's, you know, it's contingent on the next thing on the full avail- on the availability of most of those mobilized troops. And like I said, I don't know if I said that or not, but anyway, it's about six weeks to two months of training. Oh, not for, for the reserves that were called up ostensibly yeah, for Ukraine. The partial mobilization—that's right. the big thing. That's what—that's the—that's the—that's the change, the step or the phase change in this in this game. This is like this is we're going into season two of you know Game of Thrones or Game of War in Ukraine um, soon, pretty soon, and it's obviously the mobilization of those troops is a, is a big factor, you know, um, and pulling kind of. Belarus into it, and I mean, they all know this, you know. So there's all this stuff going yeah. on in the background. They all they all see what's happening. They all and they're and they're planning, making their plans, and maneuvering in different positions. They know it well in advance, you know. I mean, they know what they probably know with a fairly high degree of certainty what the next three months holds. They like, I mean, and by that I mean Russia and and NATO countries, leaders in those countries know pretty much how the conflict is going to develop, including escalations over the next three months. They know that now. They're just waiting until things get reduction in a row, then take action, wait for the response, respond to that response, etc., etc. Okay, now they've just done that thing we said they were going to do, or we knew they would do, so now it's a go for for this the next thing. Yeah, and see how they respond. Yeah. It's and it has to it's it has to play out that way. Everyone like in Russia is like just carpet bomb Ukraine already. I know, but, but they, they can't. Nobody read the, the you know the grand chessboard. I mean, this is stuff that's. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, military historians and historians in general, are should any, any of them worth their salt know this? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's been going on for for decades and decades. I don't know if you could go back a very long time, but certainly in the twentieth century, the grand chessboard, as Brzezinski called it, uh, for the kind of the Cold War. Um, and even before, long before that, really, hmm. um, back into the seventeen eighteen hundreds, uh, with the British, the Russian Empire, and the British Empire, um, it's all well it, known moves yeah. that in, provoke expected responses. That and it, but there's and this it, little bit of maneuverability within it where you're not sure. It's like you want to see, you know, more more than likely that this is the way it's going to go out, but you just want to see because there's other factors that can come in that can that can uh, kind of. Uh, Turn it in your favor. If you know what I mean. You're not absolutely sure. It's not just. It's not or, very. It's not very that controlled. Or the other way. So you don't want all the eggs in one basket right now, kind of thing. Right. You don't want to be caught going too bold, and then something unexpected. Right. You weren't right. figuring in. And while you're having these war game, having this, these wars, basically these conflicts, you know, you're working in other areas to try and hobble your enemy in different ways, economically and in other ways. You know? You're meeting your allies and right. said, now is the time to stop using the US dollar. Right, that kind of thing. Wink, wink. Blah, blah, blah. Or you now, meant- is, now is the time to put a cap on Russian oil or now is the time to blow up that pipeline or now is the time, you know, uh, and see what happens. So there is uh, an openness, a certain level of openness about it, but in general, the broad, the broad plans are set well in advance and... You're never sure, as much as you can be sure, fairly sure that um, that your enemy will respond in this way. You're never 100% sure that they'll be able to respond in that way or that uh, other factors that you're working on won't impede them from doing that. So, you know, in a certain sense, it's, kind of, it's trying to game it so as to win-win. You know that you've gamed that out and you see that this, 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 then this, then this, then this, then this. Um, and And... That'll be a good result, 
because obviously, as we know, wars are racking. People are making money all the time just from the very fact of war. So it's a win from the very get go. But if you if if your other elements come into play, you could actually get a big win. You know what I mean? So it's a win or big win, as far as they're concerned. Right. And that's why they love war. Right. Right. And yeah. And people uh, don't know that, and people are very naive, and it's just sad to see people commenting on it. You know, I mean, the level of discourse on this on, on social media is just—it's like in, in the gutter. Like people have no understand. It's like it's like the kindergartners trying to analyze uh, adult adult behavior, adult you know geopolitics, or whatever. You know. Another datum uh, you mentioned that about ten days ago, the Western governments recommended their citizens leave Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Since then, three days ago. Russian allied governments mm. did likewise. Right, well, it that, came after Putin met with uh, all of them, I guess. Um, mm. all Kazakhstan, C- CSTO. I don't think it was CSTO. Not well, it was all CSTO of them, countries. Most it was the stands. Um, Belarus. Well, in the past Paris, few days, but also China. Yeah, in the past few days, China, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, obviously Belarus, uh, the two Serbia. Who's not, uh, Serbia and Serbia actually included not just uh, advising their citizens to leave as soon as possible, but they closed their embassy temporarily closed their embassy in Kiev today, and Egypt as well said citizens leave. So it's a good kind of rule of thumb because it worked with uh, you had NATO countries um, uh, announcing that you know that that <coughs> suggestion to their citizens or. To, to leave in before, the Kerch before the Kerch bomb, bridge, followed by the followed airstrikes, by the, airstri- the, the cr- missile strikes on across Ukraine. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, so when countries do that, you, you know that it's a good kind of rule of thumb that they something know that is the next thing is about soon. to be played. Some by both thing. sides. Yeah. I mean, it could just be another, but who knows when the next? Like I said, a kind of phase change up to something a bit more dramatic, you know. Um, but again, still relatively controlled because it's known in advance, right? Um, that's what scares people is the idea of, of this wild card you know what I mean that it can a, a crazy person can just make a mistake and start a nuclear war it doesn't really work like that you know at, at this level it doesn't at this point in time and the point in history that's not how it works and that's you know? because of because of the very thing that they're shitting their pants over MAD mm. MAD guaranteed there will be no more big grabs by anyone, no big sudden moves by anyone. Mm. Ever since 70 years ago, mm-hmm. well, certainly since the Russians, the Soviets got the nuclear technology, under that envelope, it basically forced, it's, it's primitive, but that's where human beings are at. It, it forced them to become more, I was going to say civilized. Jeez, I don't know if that's the right word, after the history of American wars in the last 70 years, but mm-hmm. think about what worse things could have happened if they had actually deployed use of a toy. But when everyone else is locked in by the same threat, it forces far more uh, pragmatic, step-by-step escalatory. Mm-hmm. And eventually, there's always a settlement, a you know, piece of some kind, mm-hmm. usually a big money settlement. Um, mm-hmm. It locks it in. Mm. MAD is a factor here, but it, it means that it's ruling it out and forcing proxy war to continue as such. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the other thing you were telling me earlier, like, um, mate, you've, you've already covered it, I think. Mm. The, uh, Belarus, why Belarus? Because it's another possible avenue for both Washington and Moscow to avoid having direct. Mm-hmm, yeah. It, it's just another possible... Mm-hmm. 
war zone. And that's unfortunate for Belarus, but, but they know that. They, right. Lukashenko, obviously, I'm sure he would prefer that not mm. be the case. But can you go back to that, that Examiner article? That This last quote mm. w- w- was interesting as well. It, it seems blasé, like it was just thrown out there. But maybe maybe we should believe him when he says it. The very last one, he says, um, you read the first part. Mm. Um, here's the second part. Their owners, that'll uh, be people really running Ukraine today, their owners are pushing Ukrainians to start a war against Belarus to drag us there, Belarusians. We have been preparing for this for decades. If necessary, we will respond. Yeah. So is, is, that, that, is, that, is, is that, you know, in hindsight, I'm just throwing that out there, or do we believe him when actually they've gamed these kinds of things yeah, for, for sure, a long yeah. time? Yeah, of course. And that would, like, like I said, it's either, it's either it's a feint to either draw tr- Russian troops away or it's a faint plus, if you know what I mean, or a real faint, if you want to call that, where um, you actually get, you actually follow through with your feint and you initiate some kind of conflict on Belarusian territory. This is NATO troops, NATO trained troops, and some NATO troops actually, you know, attacking Belarus, forcing Russia to come and, and defend it and opening, in a certain sense, another front. Because right now, you know, despite everything you've heard, you know, Russia has never been losing. Ukraine had its high moment there a few about a month ago or so with its um, its 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 retaking of land around Kharkiv and to a certain extent in the south in Kherson. That said, it's not going to. Uh, that was the best it gets for Ukraine, especially now with the partial mobilization of Russia and you know Russia kind of burying its teeth after the the the, the Kerch bridge attack. Uh, Russia is you know preparing to kind of wage this war in earnest, let's say, and to get on with things. Um, the Ukrainians know that, uh, NATO knows that, and but they're not willing to back down. They should at this point cut their losses and salvage at least some of Ukraine as a kind of, uh, uh, as, as the state that it is to a certain extent today, rather than, you know, because the future for Ukraine looks bleak if they, if they double down, if they keep doubling down. But of course, this is being directed by NATO and pr- primarily the US, and they don't give a shit about Ukraine, right? Uh, this is all directed at undermining Russia and hopefully, from their point of view, destroying Russia. So, as Biden said, well, he didn't say it explicitly, but, you know, it's interpreted as him saying they're going to fight uh, Russia to the last Ukrainian. So they really don't care. And for some bizarre reasons, the Ukrainians are caught in this kind of reality bubble where they think they're fighting for democracy. They believe the narrative that the West has foisted on them, that you're fighting for all of us, you're the defenders of global democracy and freedom, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, there's a lot of nationalism and stuff, but they, they're caught in that kind of, kind of uh, yeah, like a, a bubble. Uh, uh, and they can't see clearly. They can't see. Uh, they won't get out of their own way in a certain sense to to to, to save, you know, uh, save what can be saved. Save what can be saved of Ukraine and their own what they're supposedly fighting for because they're going to lose it if they keep on pushing. You know, and, like it makes no sense to fight someone who's much stronger than you, and get pummeled into the ground to the point that you're dead or something. You know what I mean? You, at some point you just go, okay, listen, this isn't a, a good fight, uh, and I should just go. But they're not going to do that apparently because. It's crazy. Anyway, they're crazy. Um, so um, Americans are noticing that. Yeah, go on. Go yeah, on so I was just going to say that with with them aware, the, the West being aware, the US being aware that this is you know in the in the near future, uh, like Russia winning bigly, basically they want to try and do anything they can to stop that from happening, to 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 forestall that, and 
attacking Belarus, opening a new front for Russia to defend, and Belarus would be a good idea. That's what, that's what they think. Yeah, or to uh, to end up winning something that's a poison chalice, right? Economically ruined. They'll walk away. Militarily ruined. Yeah, but it won't be a poison chalice for America. It'll be poison. It'll be poison for, for Ukrainians. For Ukrainians. Uh, but America will just walk away. Europe will be left with with a headache for sure. But even they won't be. Will walk away as well. You know. But yeah. So the the possibility in that situation where Belarus is, is pulled in by Ukraine uh, slash NATO attacking Belarus, uh, Belarus might decide if. If there's a lot of support or if there's a lot of – it's obvious that uh, this attack on Belarus is being financed by, by Poland or being, being encouraged from Poland, let's say, or being, happening from Poland for, for a large part, at least in terms of the supply of weapons and, and personnel and all that kind of stuff because Poland's been training all these Ukrainian troops. Belarus might decide to uh, bring Poland into the conflict, in which case then NATO's brought into the conflict. So we're all waiting on that point. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for that point anyway uh, where – the mask is pulled off and the bullshit stops and it becomes what it has always been, which is a direct war between Russia and NATO. You know, albeit limited, low intensity, let's say low scale, but still it'll freak everybody out if uh, if Belarus, because if Belarus fires, uh, fires uh, you know, missiles or whatever into Poland, and Belarus in quotes because it, well, it's, it's going to fire a Russian. It's Russian. Style. It's Russian, yeah. right? So yeah. it's in the same way, it's. Uh, but that that would be Russia turning the tables, uh, and saying, "It's sauce for the goose, it's sauce for the gander." You've thing. got HIMARS in Ukraine firing at us, so right? So we have, you know, S four hundred or whatever, or whatever. We have weapons in Belarus, firing at, uh, firing into Poland, or even the Baltic states. Who knows? Uh, and they can say, "Well, it's not us. It's that's Belarus doing that." Right. Just like you're saying, it's Ukraine that's shooting into Russia. Well, this is Belarus shooting into Poland. It's going to happen to us. Right. It's, it's me on the street throwing rocks at my neighbor's house. <laughs> and of course, they've set it all up whereby, and Lukashenko played his part over the years where he is such, he is the erratic, crazy, He's the crazy dictator. wild card. So Putin can guy. go, well, he is a bit erratic. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't have provoked him. been saying all these decades. You said he was crazy, and then you provoked him, and he started lobbing missiles into Poland. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah, I can't talk to him anymore. He's just—he's lost the plot. Like he's really <laughs> angry with you people. You, sh- you people should stop. <laughs> well, give me, give me a realistic scenario for that provocation, though. We're talking about something coming, f- attacking Belarus from Poland. No, from, from Ukraine. Ukraine. From Ukraine. From but Lukashenko saying this is bullshit. He's not playing Putin's game in a certain sense. He's he's allowed because he's he a crazy plays one. bad cop. And he can say, "Listen, it yeah, he can say, listen, it's it's this is ridiculous. The, every every one of these missiles, every one of these." Missile systems, MLRS or HIMARS, and all of the troops that 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 were firing them into into Belarus over the last few days, all came a few days before that from Poland. And we watched them. We watched them come from Poland. You know, across the border, maybe not even very far, twenty kilometers across the border from Poland into Ukraine, and then started lobbing missiles at us. You want us to just go? Oh, that was Ukraine. Hmm. Of course, that's what that's what uh, Russia has accepted to to to, to agree to 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 go along with for. This, this whole time but, but Belarus doesn't have Belarus to Belarus may not have to and may not want to and Russia may not want it to either Russia may up the ante you know in that sense raise the stakes uh, in that sense by putting it up to NATO to say okay listen you know and there are untold numbers of groupings there's a, a major US base in the center of Poland center-ish Poznan but there's um mm-hmm. There are other groupings all along Poland's border with Belarus mm-hmm. and Ukraine, obviously. Yeah, um, 
and way more than there were there were you know nine months ago nine, yeah. since this has all started. Uh, could be it could be the Iran retaliation on the U.S. base in uh, Al-Assad airbase in northern Iraq after Soleimani was assassinated. Mm. You remember that? They knew it was coming. They had fair warning. Troops were in bunkers or evacuated. Base was destroyed, but still no one died, mm -hmm. officially anyway. Um, it could be that kind of thing. Maybe not with a heads up. I mean, you would imagine that if if one side knows, okay, that's what they're going to do next, then the U.S. side will know. You you would imagine they would try to minimize casualties or even limit them to zero. To do their part to avoid direct and therefore for being themselves, NATO, U.S., being forced into a corner to strike back. Yeah. No, they'll walk away. I mean, they'll take some damage and then they'll walk away. I mean, they'll blink, basically. Yeah. NATO will always blink. And, and any... And any direct contact between NATO troops, like, say, from Poland or the Baltics, wherever, but um, with either, you know, Belarusian slash Russian troops, um, it'll, it won't last very long. They'll walk away because they have no stomach for that fight. I mean, that's, that's their red line. Their red line is a self-imposed red line where they won't engage in any significant uh, exchange with Russian or Russian proxy, whatever, Belarusian forces, because they know uh, they kind of believe Putin. And I mean, as much as all the demonization in a certain sense um, of Putin as this madman dictator, you know, he's, he's increasingly stressed. He's, he, the walls are closing in, just like on Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, it's getting worse. He's failing. He's losing. You know, it's so much nonsense. But anyway, um, and, he's, and it's making him crazy and he's, he, he's acting more and more rational. Well, okay. So that means that in, in a situation where you, if you escalate it any further, he's most likely to be the one, according to your narrative, to nuke the Western world. Well, or short of that, to blow up and kill many thousands of U.S. soldiers in Poland. Right. Or, or yeah, he, he, he's, he's not messing around. You've, you've said that he's not messing around. I mean, they admit that. As much as they say he's crazy and a madman, a tater and stuff, he's not messing around. He's a rational actor at the same time. Mm. And um, yeah. so... He, the, almost by definition, that implies that they will back down, that they won't escalate if uh, if there's a, that kind of a direct contact, because that direct contact implies it. It makes all the rhetoric going on now about potential nuclear Armageddon even more, even more real or more more likely when you have, you know, an exchange of fire between effectively Russian territory and NATO territory. That's the red line. That's that's an attack on one is attack on all. That's that's Article Five of NATO. That's we have to all get together in a room and go, hmm, what do we do now? Uh, and have a talk at shop and then go, meh, let's just uh, let's go away and think about it, <laughs> and, and we'll reconvene in a few months and see what we think. Um, that's what NATO's Article Five basically. Yeah. Well, what happened in a, in the Iranian revenge attacks for the assassination of Soleimani was that. There was a kind of curveball that came in at the last minute that meant that the entire world's focus of discussion for the next month until COVID came along later, later that month, was not on the significance of the Iranians using homegrown, homemade ballistic missiles to destroy an American base in, in occupied Iraq. That should have been, that should have been a win, a, a propaganda slash actual military victory for Iran. No, the whole world focused on 
the shooting down of the airliner. Right. Because there'll be twists like that. There, there's got to be some propaganda uh, out for mm-hmm. the United States. You're right. I agree. They'll back down. But they'll back down in a way that the world's not talking about the fact that they back down. They mm. cannot have people notice That's a much less talk about. That's the de- when, when Stoltenberg said recently that they have to win in Ukraine because a defeat in Ukraine is a defeat for all of us, which is... Um, people assumed he meant a defeat for NATO. If Ukraine, if, if Russia wins in Ukraine, <clears throat> that's a defeat for Ukraine and for NATO. Uh, and the Russian government actually said, well, that seems to be a tacit admission that NATO is directly involved in this conflict. And it's like, duh. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, it's annoying to play these silly I games. Know. Like, it's so transparent, you know, but that's, that's, that's diplomacy for you, right? Anyway, um, yeah. Yeah. Russia thought there. Yeah, what was I saying about that? Um, let me just add something else in here. Do you remember Trump but pilloried mm. one way and down the other for his pecuniary materialistic business-like application to, well, American domestic policy, but also like U.S. foreign policy, you know, talking about in terms of what do we get out of? Syria, it's just sand and death, you know. Yeah, but there's a world order to uphold here. The other side was always like they're smelling like roses, but we have higher ideological principles, which you lowly Trump would never understand. But let's play this clip. This was on Fox News last week. This is a guy who's he's a recurring commentator on American TV. Uh, retired U.S. General Jack Keane. Oh, that dude talking about. Ukraine being a, quote, great investment for the United States. Let's have a listen. There are people uh, in the Congress and some of them on uh, some of them Republicans who have always expressed some concern about spending uh, in terms of spending money uh, on this on Ukraine. But, you know, we've got a six trillion dollar budget. It's actually larger than that uh, by a few hundred billion. And we've invested and I mean invested uh, $66 billion uh, in Ukraine this year. And that's like 1.1%. And wh- what are we getting for that? For $66 billion, what we're getting is Ukraine is doing the fighting. They are literally destroying the Russian army on the battlefield, which would set them back for years and deny them the ability to ever accomplish under Putin any of his ambitions in terms of taking back some of the Soviet republics. And by the way, if that happened, that would mean war with NATO and Russia. And the scale of that would be much greater than what it is right now. And the risk, certainly, of nuclear war would be much greater. It's something we have avoided all through the Cold War, a conventional war with two superpowers holding strategic nuclear weapons. So for this investment, I think it's well worth it. There's a few things about that. Taking back the Soviet republics, that's what he claims. uh, That's that's the old narrative. uh, That's propaganda as to Putin's intentions. Yes, that Putin Putin wants to recreate the uh, Soviet Union, complete with communism, no doubt. Um, So, but the... The Soviet republics, Ukraine, Belarusia, 
Okay, so, yeah, so he, he must, he can only be talking about like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, because he said Putin taking back uh, Soviet republics, as in occupying them and incorporating them into, into, into Russia, would uh, mean nuclear war with NATO. Yeah. Uh, so he, he must mean Europe. He can't mean, obviously, the stands, because like, NATO's not going to go to war with uh, any of the, 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 the southern, uh, former so- southern Soviet republics, like the, the stands, Kazakhstan, etc., etc. He doesn't mean those. He must no. mean Western European ones. Uh, so is there any evidence that uh, Russia or Putin himself, because he is Russia, apparently, you can't say Russia anymore, you have to say Putin, um, that they, he wants to take Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, um, is there any... Has he ever made any moves in that direction? Or has he ever said that? Uh, of, of course, it's, that's just the bullshit narrative that they propagate. So it's not actually true. There's some other reason why they're fighting this war. It's not to uh, stop Putin's designs. Yeah. Because well, have they, any designs. They have to project onto <coughs> Putin an ideological vision because, well, there hasn't been one until he recently articulated something like it in a speech. It doesn't mention conquering other territories. It mm. does talk about Rusiski Mir, though, the greater Russian world, mm. which, you know, the population of which is in some Eastern European countries. Yeah. But it's it's far more to do with economics. It's mm-hmm. to do with Nord yeah. Stream. It's to do with the extent Pipelines. of Russian bilateral trade right. that goes into right. Eastern, Central, and even Western be Europe. economic takeover of Europe, basically. Yeah, so Take they have to put this ideological gloss right. on Putin's intentions. To give it an evil spin, basically, that people yeah. don't understand it. Oh, but, that means he's bad, right? But I think he could, he could also simply have been referring to Putin just taking those four provinces. Even if it stops there, he was cl- he was. This is the bravado of what he was saying. We cannot let him even have those because otherwise that means war. He seemed to be saying that there's no adverse except nuclear war. But that, he's that's bullshit. Mm. As we've just explained, they they know that's bullshit. They'll walk away. Yeah. But the greater point and the simple point is that driving a lot of Americans nuts, especially the dissident U.S. is like, how much are we spending? Spe- and every week there's more announcements of more money. It's like. We need investment here, you assholes. But okay, and he's like sixty-six billion. But it's, it's nothing. This is nothing. There it's is no. They in, so what is the financial calculus that he sees? Well, he said six trillion dollars. They trillion. have a budget of six trillion dollars. A budget for what? Is he saying that's the military budget? Six six trillion dollars. I think that's a bit. That's overstating the military budget a little bit. Definitely. So what is he referring to? It's greater than that. It's it's probably. It's, he probably it's, has it's in like mind a client of global, medical, medical care, medical, global pensions. M- no, global economic budget, oh. economic slash military. Um, so we could use all of that if we wanted, right? Six trillion dollars. We could use all of that to, to it's, stop. It's Putin. a drop in the ocean of our potential to, to throw a load of money, to print to, a load to, of money, to shape the world as we see it by printing money. Well, that's that's the they unspoken could, part. They could take those six tri- trillion dollars, right? Because I mean, what what is six trillion dollars weigh, Scotty? Right, it's pretty heavy, right? So imagine they took that in a plane and dropped it in Moscow in one big lump. <laughs> that would, that would at least destroy the Kremlin. At least. And if Putin was inside, job done. That's, that's, that's pretty much the only way they have to destroy it. When he's talking about money and budgets, yeah, just the money. Just, that's all you've got because you don't really have any op- options for military, uh, military destruction or uh, destroying Russia via military means. So you've only got money. So just drop the money in Russia. Um, His overall point, though, is that there's no great loss for us. Well, yeah, of course. We, we can keep doing this. It, it's, it was similarly expressed by um, Lindsey Graham hmm. in the summer when uh, he said with glee, with, well, I can't remember who was over his shoulder, you know, 
the situation, the status quo as it is now, suits us just fine. Right. We'll just keep sending. Yeah. And, you know, Ukrainians are like a godsend to us because they're so fanatically, religiously even committed to mm-hmm. killing as many Russians mm-hmm. on their way down. That's the part he leaves out. Yeah. They're on the way down anyway. And they but they're going to take as many Russians with them as, as they can. Let's just that, – that in a greater yeah. – w- in, in the, the grand scheme, the grand chessboard – there's no loss there for the United yeah. States. It's awesome for it's awesome for the for people like Lindsey Graham and the Washington establishment because to have a group of people, at least a political and military elite, who are so ideologically in line with the American, you know, uh, rules based order and American uh, freedom and democracy, you know, because they have to spend a lot of time and effort. It's very difficult for them to kind of to kind of convince or, or <coughs> convince people. Uh, in countries that where they want to kind of like subvert the government to get them into the Western camp, you know, the Western mindset. It takes a lot of effort depending on the country, you know. Uh, countries that they already more or less own, like most European, most yep. Western European countries don't have to try. But further east, it takes a lot, you know, and there's a lot of, not a lot of uh, NGOing and, and propaganda has to be um, uh, input into the system to even get something started, you know, some movement started yeah. to look west to stuff. Yeah. That's uh, why Zelensky's a godsend because he's a him, poster child and they plastered him all over the planet. Be like him. Yeah. And uh, it was literally said this week, Christia Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, was at some, you know, global development conference and a journalist from like West Africa said, so you're going to sink all this money into Ukraine. Uh, and I'm hearing that... It, to do so, you're going to divert the funds you would have been sending us over here. Uh, does that mean you're like, you know, <laughs> does that mean we're saying goodbye or something like that? It, yeah. What about us? You have you had said you earmarked development aid in our direction or investment or whatever, and now it's all going here. Um, and she basically turned around and said, yeah, you know what hap- needs to happen? People in your country need to be like, Volodymyr Zelensky. Ah. You need to rise up. This is what you need to work for. You need to to be as militant Mm -hmm. and committed to not, quote, backslide into being more pro-Russian or more pro-China. Yeah. This is why, why, yeah, in their their wet dream, the world would be full of, would be led by Zelensky's everywhere, you know. But the reality is they're... They're rare, yeah. you know. Um, that's why they, they want to fill the entire info space with Zelensky. Mm. But just drown out everyone else. Getting back to what I was saying earlier on about, about um, I just remembered what the last part of that uh, comment that I was making about Stoltenberg saying that if this if they're a defeat in Ukraine uh, or a Russian victory in Ukraine is a defeat for Ukraine and for NATO, effectively for them, it's ex- existential. Uh, but it's not a defeat for for NATO, obviously. It's only it's only the appearance of a defeat for NATO. But the appearance of a defeat for NATO is catastrophic for NATO. Uh, it's the optics, you know. I mean, most of most of what the West runs on, like we've said many times before, is propaganda and look how awesome we are. Like just you know, freedom and democracy, and we're great. You know, talking themselves up, right? Um, of course, with with threat of force behind it, very often over the past you know hundred years, but. Um, they talk a lot. They talk a really good game, basically, and, and they rely as much on the impression of American, in particular, American might, American military might, American economic might, uh, as they do on actual measures that they can't coerce, pe- coerce people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
for them it is kind of existential because they realize that's a big part of their of their position in the world is just talk propaganda and and the fact that other people believe that propaganda other people in the world believe that propaganda which sustains the west so if and they were to lose that, that image and that and that the key part that the dollar is right, gold is, 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 is the is, gold is paramount, standard yeah so if they were to lose that if their image was to become seriously tarnished by the the understanding or the acceptance of most people around the world that NATO just lost. NATO was fighting in Ukraine, fighting Russia in Ukraine, and NATO lost. NATO, NATO wasn't the USAE and its allies were not up to the task. That's a big come down in, in prestige and belief among people around the world in their prowess and their ability to 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 enforce what they say what they say they're going to do and to force people to, to do what they say they should do. It it is it's amazing how much that you know belief plays a part a part in this whole situation and that's why they're fighting so strenuously for it. It's not so much because you a lot of people ask the question like why are they so invested? You know what I mean? It's just this country Ukraine. It could just go back to Russia. Half of it could go to Russia. Half of it could go to yeah. become part of Europe and then just let it all go. Why do you keep fighting? The so common sh- sense position was articulated by, by Musk this week. Right. He's like, no, why don't you just let them have a referendum right. which will be internationally observed and we'll see what the will of the people is and then we'll, we'll split it fifty. 50 based on the will of the people. And I mean, that's common sense. And fucking Lindsey Graham weighs in and replies to him on Twitter to lecture him about the ways of the world. You yeah. know? No, 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 no. You, you don't ask the will of the people. Uh, he didn't say that, but he, yeah. that was implied. But, but, no, no, no. But Russia actually said that they were open to his suggestion. You right. know what I mean? They, they just went, yeah, okay, let's, let's, that doesn't, let's talk about it. You know? So they were open to that idea, but the West absolutely not because that's still a defeat. And... Uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how, how the extent to which belief, the belief amongst the ordinary people in the world, uh, um, supports <clears throat> the current paradigm. Let's say the current global uh, power structure and the current imbalance of power in the world, uh, and that's what they're fighting for. So it is real. It's weird, and, we, and we've talked before about the idea of uh, their information war and how information for them is an extremely important part of any conflict, and that speaks to the fact that it's about what people believe. That what people believe becomes a tangible reality. It, it, it creates an intang- a tangible reality. Yeah. Uh, and the lack of belief then does the opposite. It, it, it does away with that reality or it can, it can seriously erode that reality which has then tangible results in the, in the physical world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. NATO planes cannot be seen falling out of the sky. That's why Syria diverted into a dirty proxy war. Right. Because they had the capacity when they were all weapons go in 2013 to carpet bomb but at the last minute they went, we don't have air superiority, you know. Yeah. But they only do it when they have guaranteed air super, uh, their dominance. Yeah. And yes, somebody said, I turned on the flamingo. Exactly, I turned on the flamingo. <laughs> That's very observant of you. Who, who are somebody called BS, which doesn't mean bullshit. But uh, um, yeah, so anyway, there's apparently, just so you know, there's a new, you know the monikers? Um, oh, and what was the other one? Wasn't Z? So obviously Z, Z but Z and, and O, the different uh, and V. There's a new one for the for the, for the, the groupings in, in in Belarus. It's a triangle with a two in the middle. Okay, so it's like season two, right? Uh, so well, meanwhile, no one's confused about the Ukrainians because they're painting Wehrmacht stars all over the crosses yeah. on their tanks. Um, uh, not just that. Well, yeah. Um, check out uh, 
check out check out this this guy. This I haven't seen him. I suppose he was on the front of Time magazine, I think, not too long ago. But for most of the course of this war, maybe he wasn't the commander in chief for the whole war. But anyway, he's the commander in chief now of the, the armed forces. Basically, he's the um, he's the dude making all the awesome decisions, right? This guy, um, and that picture is actually from his Twitter account. He has a Twitter account. I don't follow him, but I keep an eye on him. Uh, and on his wrist is a bracelet. On his right hand wrist is a bracelet. This is this is this picture is from his. He posted this on Twitter. But you don't have to do that, Scotty, because I got it here. Swastikas. Well, that one right there, yeah. Uh, I think that. It's, I mean, it's a small thing, but that's pretty clearly a swastika. One of the little so different symbols. And people looked up the actual bracelet, you know, and the, you can find it or whatever. It's got different insignias all along. But one of them was actually a swastika. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example. One more example. And this is the commander-in-chief, you know. So, does Ukraine have a Nazi problem? Mm, probably. It, October 14th was um, a holiday in Ukraine, certainly in the west of Ukraine. It's day the day of the celebration of the creation of the OUN UPA, which is Bandera's mm-hmm. pro Nazi faction. Mm-hmm. Stay behind unit, whatever. War, yeah. And they're all walking down Lvov, you know, torch lit parade, uh swastikas on Heil Hitler, Slava Ukraine. It's like it's on the streets. They're still <laughs> Yeah. Talking about propaganda. This one came out this week as well. Um, we've seen others over the course of the past seven or eight months, uh, but this is uh, this was when this was put out in 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 response to the um, the Russian kind of missile attack there after the Kerch Bridge uh, attack. Um, this came. This was in the papers the next day because of the they fired a hundred and some whatever cru- missiles, different types of missiles, cruise missiles at different you know the power generating stations and different places but um, and they did it over a few days afterwards as well to a lesser extent but um there was lots of reports about evil obviously it was spun as evil russia bombing civilian infrastructure bombing bombing civilian homes etc and this video um let me just play it there Notice that, notice that lady there, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and her taking a picture of herself and saying, will you take a picture of me? And she's, somebody's putting on bandages and stuff. Um, so then this, so this, again, this was in response to the, you know, this was the media. Well, not this, obviously, they didn't show this, but what they showed us is the next one. And one example of what they showed. But just keep that, that lady, remember her? <laughs> Vlad's bloody payback. That was in the, now that's the New York Daily News, but there's also, um, it was across, I mean, the, a lot of them picked it up. Um, Rain's death across Ukraine. Yeah, Rain's yeah. death. Officially, Ukraine said 11 people were killed. Yeah. 11. And then the next one is uh, the Italian, Italian newspaper. Right. Corriere della Sera uh, picked it up as well. Um, you also had uh, French Liberation 
no less, all using the same lady. The strategy of terror. And just just to uh, just to finish the the series, last one is a Swedish uh, newspaper. Uh, same lady, there she is. And, you, uh, and so people are absorbing think, that. You know? Do you think that's like full-on crisis actors' fake blood, or, or are they injured people who were being used by local by Ukrainian military forces? I'm just trying to cover the bases there because yeah. that might also be the case. So they actually have suffered from. A, Presume the building they showed next to it was the the Samsung building, big glass skyscraper mm-hmm. was hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not know if it was hit by the Russians though, or an actual Ukrainian mm-hmm. air defense missile that went went astray because there were a few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, look, well, they the say thing, eleven the, dead, right? It's so low that the Telegraph. But, but I don't play, have play that video again. Okay, let's watch it again. I mean, it's possible, I suppose, but at least it brings up a, brings a question. <laughs> you know, what I mean? mm-hmm. you get blood yeah, yeah. all running down the front of your shirt. Your, your whole head has been bandaged. This guy's standing beside you. He's he's in bad shape, and the first thing you do is take out your phone. And say, "Would you take a picture of me? I'll, I'll do it myself. Hang on." How do you do the selfie? Okay, mm, I'm going to put that on social. Really? I sent to my sister in Russia. I, I'll show her what that asshole Putin did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and then the way the media portrays it, you know, bloody yeah. payback and stuff. Reigns death. She at least isn't playing the part of someone who's just had death reigned on her. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so it's just there's a question mark over it, the very least, right? Yeah. Well, here's here's another sick interpretation. She really was injured. Yeah. But there Just are so such there's such a large volume of people in in Ukraine, not a majority, but a lot of Ukrainians who are uh, so ideologically into hating all things Russia that they instinctively and voluntarily play their part in doing whatever for the country, for the greater good of the country. And the, well, the well, Western the, press is there, click, click, click. At the very least, if that's the case, she's not very badly injured. Because somebody who's very badly injured can't do that. That's not what they're thinking about, right? So she's not badly injured. And maybe there was more bandages put on than were necessary or whatever, but uh, she's not very badly injured if, if that's one of your first impulses is to, you know, got to get this in social media, you know? Yeah. Really? Sent to my sister. Wouldn't you be, if you had a seriously bad head wound like that, wouldn't you be a bit, just want to go to hospital? I mean, really? I don't Agreed. know. Agreed. Uh, it says something, there's something very strange about her uh, in that sense if, if she's doing that. She's a very strange person. 100%. Uh, um, so, yeah, 11 dead from those massive airstrikes. Raining death. Bullshit. It was such bullshit that what they had to do, I think it was on the Telegraph, they ran a story where the headline was, oh, what did it say? Something like, the gist of it was, Russia's uh, cruise missile strikes all over Ukraine were so poor and ineffective, mm. they only killed 11 people. Mm. <laughs> Which is it? Which is it? It's precision surgical strikes in the real sense where they're actually trying to avoid civilian casualties, but take do you know take out strategic targets, or their bombs suck because they're Russian because they're losing the war. So both, bad. it's whatever works for the propaganda war, Neil. You got to you know blanket, blanket, and whatever shit sticks mm. in people's brains, we'll go with that. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, do you see just <laughs> just on this topic what? 
Because you wonder, there's a question over what the Russian, at least in my mind, there has been for quite a while a question over what the Russian um, troops actually think they're fighting for. What's motivating them? Do they need motivation? I mean, you know, for the Iraq war, Afghanistan, and really everything since then, um, although it waned after a while, but you can always get troops to go and do what they're trained to do, which is go and fight a war. But usually they need some kind of a justification. You need to keep it, even for even for military personnel, you need, and that's no disrespect to military personnel, but they need to have... A need, war aim. They need to believe. It's what American it's troops for good, in, in right, Afghanistan started to ask their, their superiors. Right. What are we doing exactly? Right. Well, they had 9-11, right? Which was a big... Yeah, but 15 years on, it was right. like, what are we doing, sir? It's starting to wear a bit thin, yeah. but initially they had that. So Russian troops, what are they being told? This is relatively re- recent, right? So it only started in, 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 in February or March. <clears throat> so what are Russian troops believe that they're fighting for? Mm. What are they doing in Ukraine? Um, they're probably you know, smart enough or intelligent enough to know that it's, you know... They're, you know, they're aware to some extent of the geopolitical aspect of it, and this is oh, a, yeah. an attempt by the Americans to overtake Ukraine and threaten Russia, right? That's enough. But there's another element which is, which was voiced by this guy. This is part of, I don't know who the, I think it's, um, I don't know who they are specifically, but I don't think they're, what are they called, Mubniks? Mobilized, mobilized personnel. They're more like, they look more like regular, you know, uh, active military personnel rather than part of the mobilization or partial mobilization but you can just have a look at what he says here oh yeah I saw that they're Chechens oh they're Chechens are they yeah okay yeah are you sure well he is for sure yeah a lot of them in the in the ranks there don't look like Chechens no beards no no beard no the the, the, the guys he's talking to don't look like Chechens okay well but he maybe he's a Chechen commander who's because <coughs> the Chechens don't People who say that God is Satan. Their world and their society. We are people for whom there is a mother, a father, God, religion, and everything else that the Almighty gave us. That's the whole point. Yeah, I agree with Syrian girls comment on that the ideological lines of World War Three have been drawn yeah it's been articulated but in Putin's speech that, that, and also by others in yeah Russia. for sure uh, but, and it's obviously been taken up by the troops even holy war term was right. used uh, um, not by Putin but by someone close to him mm-hmm. um, a lot of American conservatives would agree with that uh-huh. Italian voters just voted for a prime minister who agrees with that right so are they aware of it, or is that it? Kind of oh, it's informa- coming. Is that information being slowly, slowly catching monkey? But that's I see a, them that's turning. Russia's fighting Cernovich on uh, Twitter, like hmm. they're they're starting to put the pieces. That together. one video alone, if that was taken by anybody in American, American conservative watching that and taken as 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 a general attitude or general belief among Russian troops, that's what they're fighting for. They would start to have serious problems disagreeing with it or or supporting their government arming Ukraine against those guys. You know what I mean? Because yeah. those people basically share the same beliefs as. The average American conservative. Yeah. 
the, Not that they the Russian there just said we're fighting for our way of life. Now right. that's obviously been a trope of um, the American rationale that is told to its soldiers and the families of soldiers who support right. the troops. Why? Because we're fighting for our way of life. And right. Biden will use that term over and over and again. Right. But what has happened these mm-hmm. last X number of decades? Whose way of life exactly? Mm. Has something happened in the West where it's the way of life of the people in power is is markedly different right. to the way of life yeah, yeah, exactly. of most ordinary people? Well, it is, obviously. We're very practical. Level. So it's for our way of life. And Biden will say, likewise, it's for our way of life. Yeah. Okay, what is your way of life, Biden? Is mm. it like, you know, s- telling sexually suggestive things to 14-year-old girls, mm. encouraging them to be actually adulterous or, you know, promiscuous? Yeah. Um, are those your values? Because you don't share the same values with most people you claim voted for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This goes back a long time before this anyway. This is the genesis of this was probably obviously before that or that belief system, that attitude, that way of life or that perspective on life is, um, has been amongst, you know, certainly people in eastern Ukraine, maybe even most, a lot of people in all of Ukraine for a very long time, you know, because they tend to be more religious, Christian, conservative types of people in Ukraine. Uh, but certainly in, the, in, in, in Crimea and in Donbass, this, this uh, image is a, is a poster that was created in 2014 by to represent um, the, the struggle in, in Donbass, you know. Uh, uh, okay, so probably <coughs> a, in the center you've got a Yuki... Yeah, Ukrainian. And the choice is facing him, basically, of on the right, obviously, Mother Russia, and on the left, Mother Russia represented by... Satanic West on the left. Yeah, Mother Russia represented by an angel and... You know, it's safe, new flag, LGBT flag. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, basically. And drugs down the bottom. Yeah, on the Syringe. right. On the right, you have, you know, a little angel boy, basically, family, traditional family, technology, uh, Soviet astronaut, and then history, you know, of the uh, Russian history, basically, and Christianity, obviously, at the top of the crosses, com- contrasted with uh, LGBT, Nazism. <laughs> Uh, devils, drugs, and money. Hmm. So they have it pretty is clear. That, like, yeah, you know? is that too binary, or is that well, no, essentially correct? Uh, I don't. It, to me, it doesn't. In a certain sense, it doesn't really matter. Binary. Whether it's, it's that actually, word is now tainted. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, be careful how you use that. Uh, to me, it doesn't really matter. It's just, it's just instructive or interesting that that this is the way they that, see. That's it. how, that's they, see how it. they see it, and that's what they're fighting for. And they're not not for budging. You know, uh, it's for each person to decide to what extent. Uh, that's that's true. Or those, those that that image or those collection of of kind of motifs there represent two different ways that in uh, of seeing the world, or two different two different ways of being that are extant in the world today. And if that is that a struggle between those two different those two sides are is actually taking place. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say that tell everybody that's what's actually taking place. I'm just saying this mm-hmm. is what some people believe, and certainly it's it's at the center of uh, for a lot of people uh, of. of of what the Ukrainian conflict about is about, with are basically Russia versus the West, and uh, so a lot of people believe it. You, know, you can say it's nonsense, but that's the core. That, that's what's sustaining a lot of people in terms of their fight and continuing with the struggle. Putin's uh, speeches now always include, um, besides the more boring economic stuff, which actually is super interesting. But anyway. Um, a discussion about values, our values, their values, and the contrast. And he brings this stuff up all the time now, regularly. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And he includes the caveat that he's aware that in the West, a lot of people don't. That when their leaders speak and act on their behalf, they don't share the same values. Mm. You know. Yeah. Macron said this uh, just this week as well. Um, well, but yeah, but three days ago, Macron uh, urged Putin to do what? Uh, Euro news, Ukraine war. Come back to the negotiating table. Macron tells Putin. Yeah, is that yeah. something you tell someone who's losing? Right. I mean, if you're the enemy, he, uh, Macron is ostensibly, obviously, the enemy, and France is the enemy of Russia, and totally against what Russia is doing. Do you tell your enemy in the rather than the jaws in the jaws of defeat to come back to the negotiating table, or do you just let them be defeated and then you get what you want? Right. Exactly. Um, it, it's. Yeah, the closed um, the closed bubble of Western reality. The re, in the real world, Lavrov again reiterated in a speech last week that he uh, would like peace talks and he's open to it with Kiev or Washington or both or whoever. Yeah, they do that all the time, and it was immediately it was picked up. It, they don't just ignore those. It was responded to by Pentagon or State Department spokesman John Kirby. John Kirby, he said, "No, I'm not going to. No, that's not a serious offer." Just dismissed it out of hand. And if if you're winning bigly and your enemy is losing bigly, uh, do you uh, try and get your friends to launch an, a preemptive nuclear attack on 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 your enemy if you're winning? Is that is that a, is that from a position of strength? Because um, that's exactly what Delensky uh, did this week. Yeah, yeah. Що повинна робити НАТО? Унеможливлювати застосування Росією ядерної зброї. Але, що важливо, я ще раз звертаюся до міжнародної спільноти, як це було до 24-го. Превентивні удари, щоб вони знали, що з ними буде, якщо вони застосують. А не навпаки, чекати ядерних ударів Росію, щоб потім сказати, ах, ти так, ну ось тримай від нас. Переглянути Застосування свого тиску. Ось я вважаю, що повинна робити НАТО. Переглянути порядок застосування. Such a nut job, that guy. Uh, this is what NATO should do. Basically, don't wait for Russia to nuke us. You nuke them first. He's nuts. I love Tucker Carlson's response to him. Go away, you troll. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's insane. But it, it speaks to the existential... It truly is. It's not really existential for NATO. Um, it's more in a psychological, institutional sense, but it is existential for Ukraine. Um, kind of for Ukraine under that kind of regime, where yeah. Nazis have you know access to power and guns and can mm-hmm. do whatever they want. Basically, that kind of Ukraine is is seriously. It's a, he. He's so insane. I think you suggested it before. He would rather risk a nuclear exchange and see who comes out of it alive than settle for anything less. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got nothing to lose at this point, which is dangerous. You know, he, He's basically gone all in as the war president who's going to save Ukraine. And if it looks like he's not going to save Ukraine, then he, he will 
suggest anything and try anything and everything, you know. Nuke, nuke Moscow now. Yeah, do. Before yeah, they do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's going down, basically, so. And that's on the cards, you know, pretty, pretty, in the relatively near future, I think. Um, yeah. Well, he, he's, yeah, he's out on the limb. He's insane. He's insane to, he's probably, well, he, he's insane certainly to France. Macron also said this week that uh, even if Russia, there's a lie, there's a twist in this as well, but he said even if Russia uses some kind of nukes in Ukraine, we will not retaliate by nuking Russia. Um, for which he got blasted yeah, at this NATO yeah, summit by Ben Wallace for saying, you idiot. Don't show your hands. Never show your hands. You must say to Russia, there will be severe consequences. I, you could well use nukes on Russia if they use them first. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. So it's uh, it's a last chance saloon for Ukraine, right? Right. What about Europe more generally? Because they're saying the right things. The economy minister of France this week said, look, the outcome of this war cannot be that we've just supplanted dependence on Russian energy for American domination of our economy. And then said, friends do not uh, sell gas to other friends for four times the price they were paying before. Right. But, but that he knows American, the situation. American he knows what he friends. doesn't want, but that's exactly where it's going. They blew up Nord Stream too to lock in Mm-hmm. a captured market for the United States and you're going to pay gas or freeze slash starve yeah. you know they cannot get out of it it is kind of existential in that sense for for Western Europe as well yeah it's it's tra- it's it's tragic comic what do you do I, I heard some noises about um, I think it was Schultz leader of Germany saying the time has come for Europe to, uh, they've said this hundreds of times before, but he said, no, now I'm serious. The time has come for Europe to have some military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I break our dependence on the United States. This, this is the, but they're tethered to the US. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, there, is, there are people who know what's going on. I mean, this is a report uh, from, the, it's, it's an organization called the French School of Economic Warfare which is supposedly known to be French, known to be close to French intelligence. And it was, a, it was like a, basically a, a short video montage, whatever infomercial they put out um, that, that, you know, makes it clear that that's, it's, it's kind of like their view of what's going on in the world and um, from a French perspective and what needs to happen. Uh, uh, you just have a watch with their... Um, considère que les ennemis de nos amis sont forcément les nôtres. Soit on collabore, soit on est pour un monde ouvert, soit on ne l'est pas. L'ennemi, c'est pas la finance, l'ennemi, c'est le chômage. Si tu veux la paix, prépare la guerre. Eh ben non, si tu veux la paix, prépare la paix. Il ne faut pas avoir peur. Tout va bien. Le président Macron, ami ou ennemi The jury's out.
so they um and the last at the end don't to not to no longer be naive you know there's obviously some realism still in among french uh and french think tanks i suppose as political mm. and economic and think tanks linked to french intelligence they kind of have a bit of sense still um and realize that there's no it's not it's not about goodies and bodies and stuff and it's not it's nowhere near as simplistic as as uh, governments and the media would have you would have us all believe you know um so i don't know is that is it it's too late, I think, to turn around. Like in answer to your question, it's too late for for Europe to turn around really to, to any great effect. You know, uh, they've, they're still doubling down. They they can't break away from America. They still haven't. There's no there's no uh, dissent in European uh, major European nation states or governments um, dissenting against the the U.S. dictates around Ukraine and Russia, basically. You know what I mean? I mean, it's all obviously... There, there's, none, there's none among the parliamentary class, but yeah. there is among the people. Yeah, for sure, among the people, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, the protests, people are waving Russian flags and asking for negotiations for, you know, a turnaround in the whole thing. And that's where it's, it's going to head to. Mm-hmm. Putin's predicted this. Basically revolution or revolutionary environment yeah. in which they're going to demand it. Yeah. So far, they've said... I mean. To hell with it. No, you're all wrong. We know what we're doing. And they've made sure elections always go the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, ever westward, ever pro-America. But um, <laughs> French intelligence, my. They included in that uh, there's a little snippet of Burkina Faso. There was a, so it must have been very recently made because they had video footage of protesters in support of the military coup that took place there 10 days ago in which yes there were large crowds of people waving russian flags why russian flags in burkina faso in sub-saharan africa what the hell what does that tell you russia isn't even there yet and ordinary people in burkina faso recognize that that's where they want to be ideologically and economically aligned with with. Mm -hmm. um Today happens to be the assassinate the death the anniversary of the assassination of Burkina Faso's first and only independent leader, a guy called Thomas Sankara or Sankara. Mm-hmm. Um, he was assassinated in 1987 by someone from actually among his his own group entourage, who said, "No, we need to get this country back to a, a close alliance with France." At the time, this other guy was trying to get them away, more pro Soviet Union, pro he was self-styled Marxist, you know, pro-independence, mm. finally get our country off its knees and out of colonialism. Boom. This other guy comes in. He only passed away, like, or resigned from office a couple of years ago, 2014 maybe, in massive protests mm. against that dictatorship. So Burkina Faso, I mean, it's a bit... who is the enemy? Well, who is the enemy for them? Yeah. They are sick of French neo-colonialism yeah. where they have to use the, French, the European currency and they... Everything's dictated them by France. Mm-hmm. What they can and cannot do. Well, um, France is having to, and other European countries are having to eat a bit of humble pie as far as uh, African countries, especially North African countries, are concerned. Uh, because, like for example, Algeria. Uh, apparently, it's the third largest supplier of uh, third largest supplier of um, gas to Europe. There's pipelines coming across the Mediterranean into Spain, you know, from Algeria, and France is a, hasn't got a very honourable history with Algeria, obviously, and was very rude to them even up until fairly recently, you know. I think Macron earlier this year even said something, before, it was in January or something, he, said, he, he was talking about Algeria and he's, he, he asked the question. You know, the question needs to be asked, um, d- did Algeria even exist as a state before French colonisation? 
you know, that kind of arrogance. <clears> you know? We brought you civilization. Yeah, yeah, basically. But now, nine months later, he's going over there cap in hand, uh, kowtowing to try and get, uh, to try and secure some, some gas supplies uh, from Algeria because they cut off Russian supplies because, well, nobody knows. Well, because they're crazy. Um, so... Yeah, and then, of course, this week, or just about a week ago or so, Saudi Arabia said, agreed with uh, Americans not happy about the fact that Saudi Arabia kind of more or less did a deal with Russia under the ages of OPEC, OPEC Plus, to cut uh, oil by 2 million, two million, bar- two million barrels per day starting on November 1st, uh, which, you know, Americans not happy about it for really crass reasons, which is the midterms, the midterm elections in November, uh, because by cutting 2 million barrels of oil from production, uh, OPEC plus, i.e. more or less, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia will uh, drive the price up. And of course, it's in their interest as oil producers to drive the price up. Um, because, and I think, I think I, may, I might have talked about this before, but the, uh, the obvious reason is that the, the whole, they've been talking, European Union and America have been talking about putting a price cap on Russian oil, on Russian oil only. And it's delusional. I mean, it's bizarre that they think they can put a, a price cap on one, um, you know, the biggest, almost, in, uh, the biggest exporter, I think, of oil uh, in the world. They can put a price cap only on that country's oil. So everybody who buys that country's oil will only be allowed to pay a under market value price, well below market value price, like, say, $70 or something. Like that, when it's actually current market value price would be, like, say, 110 120 Only pay 70 for Russian gas. And that's not going to affect other major producers like Saudi Arabia. Right. Who are okay. selling at 110, 120. Yeah. And Russia, they see the Russia writing say, on the wall. They say, well, that applies to us by definition because yeah. we'll have to reduce our prices to compete with Russian oil. Yeah. Therefore, it's a price cap on our oil as well. So you know what we're going to do in response? We're going to cut production of oil to drive the price up. And then you can put your price cap on it if you want. Yeah. And Americans are not happy only because price of gas at the, at, the, at the pump will go up and that'll be blamed by clueless American voters on Biden because... If price of gas at, at the pump is up under a certain administration, then it's his fault. Yeah, they nearly always lose the upcoming election or midterm, it, depending on the timing of this. Here's, there's actually a follow-up story to this. This is um, the Daily Mail, but the source is the Saudi government. The Saudi government explained um, that uh, the Americans knew the cut was coming, but all they asked was that it be done after the midterms, literally right. just for that reason. Yeah, yeah. So here's the report in the Daily Mail. Biden administration, and this, this, we only know this because the Saudis said it publicly, Biden administration urged Saudi Arabia to wait until after the midterms and warned, the U.S. warned Saudi Arabia that rejecting the offer would be a clear sign of siding with Russia. Yeah. So they did that so knowing... they don't care about high oil prices. Threat, the, just well, not right there's now. There's a threat in that. Like, yeah. Well, the threat was supposedly they're going to stop, or they're talking about stopping, but they can't go that far with Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia has a lot more uh, clout than 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 uh, than the Americans would like to believe. You know, they talk about basically cutting. Um, the only thing America provides for Saudi Arabia basically is um, military uh, equipment, basically weapons. And the only thing they could come back with was threaten to cut off military supplies to Saudi Arabia. I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but it's interesting, though. The only thing that came out of it, I didn't hear anything about whether or not, I don't think they're going to go through with it. Uh, and the only thing I heard... Uh, the oil price cap? 
No, the only thing no. I heard is a follow-up to that debacle between Saudi and the US right. is that Saudi Arabia, in response you know, to this counter-threat from America, that they'd stop selling them weapons if they didn't, uh, if, they, if they went ahead with their oil production cut. Um, the but Saudi, then you're the pushing Sa- the Saudis into Russian arms. Exactly. But this, Well, the Saudis responded. The only response I heard uh, was that just yesterday or today, or, um, they said that they were, they, well, they announced that they were sending 400 mil- million dollars yeah. worth of humanitarian aid to Ukraine. To Ukraine. It's like, is that enough? Is that okay? Are you happy now? Does right, that, right. Can you see now we're not, we're, not, we're not siding with Russia here. You're accusing us of siding with Russia. We were right. just doing this for economic reasons. You're claiming that we're siding with Russia and that we, what are we now, an enemy of America or something like that. Well, here, look, $400 million, but only of humanitarian aid. Uh-huh. We won't send any of your F-16s to, uh, to Ukraine. Um, Putin spoke about the oil price cap uh, at some energy summit in Russia and cited... Milton Friedman, back to them. This is this is. I don't think people know who. But obviously, Milton Friedman is like prized. You know, he's like the Adam Smith of modern of Reaganomics. Mm. You know, they, they've been lecturing the world nonstop about you know the money supply, free markets, minimal government interference. You, you don't do you know caps on wages and mm-hmm. prices. That's yeah, yeah. socialist. That's. It never works, you know. Mm-hmm. It always backfires on you. So he cites it back to them and says, and he gives us the, the anecdote that Milton Friedman gave, which is that if you want to create a shortage of tomatoes, for example, just pass a law that retailers can't sell tomatoes for more than two cents per pound. Mm-hmm. Um, instantly, you will have a tomato shortage. Mm-hmm. It's this, and Milton Friedman said this. It is the same with oil and gas. Mm-hmm. End quote. Mm-hmm. Um, Putin then quipped, let me remind you that Milton Friedman passed away in 2006. He had nothing to do with the Russian government and cannot be designated as a Russian agent of influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the cap, the US-EU cap on Russian oil and even gas now they're talking about cap on the Russian price of well, oil. Putin went on to explain, he was talking to a, a global South audience and he says, will it end there? Mm-hmm. Will they start to do the same with other raw materials that they yeah. get from you yeah, yeah. on food? Yeah. They'll say and cause and cause effectively a shortage in it because people all like, oh, yeah across the board but and Putin, they'll pay you with their dollars and the euros that they're printing rapidly right but Putin has said that specifically he said that any cap on Russian gas or oil will mean that we will stop supplying that gas or oil to yeah those point blank ergo a shortage yeah to you to the people who won't pay the the correct price for it the market price. this looks like a standoff that's going to happen I think it's it's the cap is due to come into effect in early December and. Putin gave his answer. We are not going to sell it mm. if anyone demands that because right it's in the too much. Winter. Yeah. Right at the beginning of winter. Um, someone's going to back down probably. Well, we'll see. It's nuts. The whole thing is bonkers. Uh, is there anything other? What was it? I saw a comment there, Scotty. But can you, you can't scroll in the comments, can you? Me. I saw a big comment on something uh, to do with uh, Russian casualties. But can you read it? No. <clears throat> yeah, uh, that was a guy who posted uh, twice and said, the most conservative American estimate of Russian fatalities is 25,000. The British believe it is higher on the order of 30 to 40,000. Other European countries are estimating even higher, with Ukraine claiming over 60,000. Mm-hmm. 
For every death, between two to three others are wounded severely. It is very likely that the majority of the original 200,000 members of the initial invasion force are either dead or missing body parts. This is not something for anyone to gloat over. Life is precious. We must consider the blood of these tens of thousands of Russians to be on the hands of one man, V. Putin. Yeah, whatever. Also on his hands are the blood of perhaps... 10,000 dead Ukrainian soldiers as well as another 15,000 wounded along with at least 30,000 dead women, children, and old folks. Really? The cost of defeating evil is a lot of treasure and blood. That guy supports Ukraine and he doesn't agree with anything we're saying. Yeah, because then there's a Ukrainian flag at the end. Okay. Oh, right. Slava Ukraine. Slava cocaine. And he he posted it twice in case we missed it the first time. Just That's how it got your attention. Slava cocaine. No, it's more Um, like uh, 15,000 dead on the Russian side, only about two-thirds of which are uh, local militias, though. So right. about 5,000 Russian regulars. Yeah. Uh, the Ukrainian side is actually more like 100-plus thousand dead, plus injured. twice that in injured. So, yeah. No. Yeah, you can't have it both. Again, these people seem to want to have it both ways. You can't have Russia going slow and, you know, avoiding, you know, Basically, the reason they're going slow is because they're avoiding just a blitzkrieg across the across the country. You can't have that and also have a large number of uh, military military um, casualties. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, in the case where they did do, do go full into Kiev at the beginning, or just try to you know do a shock and awe and then just swarm the country, yeah, you could have a, a lot of dead. But they seem to be uh, they planned it specifically to avoid that. You know, so it just doesn't make sense that I mean, by all accounts, and this isn't just. This isn't just pro-Russian commentators saying, complaining about how ru- slow Russia was going. This is the West saying that Russia is going very slow. It's, it, it, it's stalling. They're not really making the progress that they thought they would made, um, and not not necessarily because you know they're being uh, pushed back against, but simply because they were just going very carefully, like stopping, uh, waiting, um, holding territory and stuff. You can't have that and have a large number of military casualties. Just that, that's not the way it works out in war. You know what I mean? You have a lot, of, a lot of casualties when you go on a suicide mission, basically. You know, I mean, you just charge against the enemy's guns and, and then you get wiped out, you know. Like the Ukrainian forces. Yeah, every, pretty much. Yeah, it's week. more like them are the ones who are, would have the really high casualty, casualty numbers. Um, anyway, so uh, vac- the vaccine season, are you going get, to get your booster? <clears throat> My what? <laughs> your booster. No? Nope, no comment. No comment. That's that might be seditious. I'm one of them. There, vaccine hesitance. <laughs> vaccine <laughs> hesitance. I'm a bit hesitant still. But Neil, it's been freaking almost three years. Like you know what I'm saying. I know I'm still here. I know, but you're very. That's for a long time to hesitate. Like, yeah. You not just shit or get off the pot type thing. I'm still waiting. I'm still, still waiting to see. Still waiting to see how this experiment goes. See how the trials go. I'm I'm in the control group. Yeah, you know? in the real life, the yeah. real life trials. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's I'm that's in the control group. Somebody has to be in the control group. Like, uh, no, there was a thing. There was big hoo ha this week on social media and stuff about it was a Dutch um, MP, yeah, a Dutch MP, and well, we'll just listen to him here just for a second. It's not very long. Uh, he just fleshes out the. He's actually talking to Pfizer, a Pfizer representative in the Dutch, I don't know, European Parliament probably? European Parliament. In the European Parliament. He's a Dutch MEP in the European Parliament questioning a Pfizer rep on their vaccine and on, specifically on whether or not it was tested for uh, transmission, if it would prevent transmission, the vaccine. Go ahead. 
if you don't get vaccinated, you're antisocial. This is what the Dutch Prime Minister and Health Minister told us. You don't get vaccinated just for yourself, but also for others. You do it for all of society. That's what I said. Today, this turned out to be complete nonsense. In a COVID hearing in the European Parliament, one of the Pfizer directors just admitted to me, at the time of introduction, the vaccine had never been tested on stopping the transmission of the virus. This removes the entire legal basis for the COVID passport. The COVID passport that led to massive institutional discrimination as people lost access to essential parts of society. I find this to be shocking, even criminal. Please watch the video until the end. Voor u, mevrouw Smal, heb ik de volgende vraag waar ik een duidelijk antwoord op wil. And I will speak in English so there are no misunderstandings. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market? If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Is so, that? This is Millions of people worldwide felt forced to get vaccinated because of the myth that you do it for others. Now, this turned out to be a cheap lie. This should be exposed. Please share this video. Yeah. Does anybody care? Well, yeah. 13 million views now, that video. Um, fact checkers, sponsored by Facebook and the Atlantic Alliance, um, are now claiming no one ever claimed the vaccines would stop transmission. That's yeah, ridiculous. And then in return, people are posting hundreds did. of videos of Burla, saying, Biden, saying precisely that. All of them said exactly that. So, if you yeah, get the they, vaccine, they lie so easily and effortlessly. If you get you the can't vaccine, talk you, to these people. You, if you get the vaccine, you will not spread it. It'll stop with you. Remember your woman, uh, Rachel Maddow? Maddow It'll yeah. stop in you. It can't go on any further if you get the vaccine. You are amazing. Uh, and the weird thing is, so uh, there's, they're talking about that, about a vaccine, and there's literally no evidence whatsoever for them to say that. Where did that, where did that claim come from? Do you know what I mean? Pfizer, who made this vaccine, did not test it at all in any way, shape, or form, to determine whether or not it stopped transmission. So how did we? How were we inundated with that message for guts of a year or six months? Anyway, who who made that up? Tell I, someone said tell people that it stopped transmission. With and then they go, well, what should we tell people that it stopped transmission? Because what will it mean? Do we have evidence that it stopped transmission? Uh, no, actually, we don't have any evidence whatsoever that it stopped transmission. Well, tell them anyway. I mean, what, what's the thought process behind that? How did that happen? I'd like to know how that actually happens. I mean, because it exposes the fact that at least that part of it was entirely manufactured. It was like they, someone consciously and deliberately made up a, a, a falsehood, a lie, about the effects or the qualities of this vaccine that it did not have. 
Oh, a lie. Really, Joe? Come on. We're mm-hmm. moving at the speed of science. Oh, sorry, here. sorry, sorry. <sighs> because we're moving at the speed of science, it's not a lie. Speed of science, man. I it know. Was, it, was, it was a pandemic. Yeah. People were dying. People were dying. People never died before that. And remember, get your booster today. While stocks last. What if you change the tagline of Newsreel to moving at the speed of science? Yeah. Maybe mm. like, YouTube can't like ban you anymore. Yeah. No. Yeah. Speed of science. Yeah. If I see any more on this, I'll be banned from the internet. Yeah. But they're, they're rolling, rolling, moving ahead with it. Um, I mean, in European countries and stuff. Loads, particularly old people, going out getting their, getting their dual flu and COVID mRNA jab. Uh, double whammy. Uh, right now, basically, you know, end October, November, everybody's been booked in. Get your double, double, double vax. And this is for a vac. This is at this point for a mutated version of this virus that is really a nothing burger. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a head cold. If if that if you if which you, Bill Gates said last week, YouTube. Bill Gates said that last week. Well, he, did he say it last? Week? He said it quite a while ago. Recently, yeah, well, recently, yeah. Um. So why would why would people get vaccinated against something that really is because it's COVID, Joe? But COVID. it's not COVID. That's the problem. Is he calling it COVID brings people back to March twenty twenty? But it's it's not. You can't, why would you call some? It's like I can't think of an analogy. But why would you call something that was let's say quite deadly, at least to a certain demographic, almost three years ago? That has now mutated to something very benign. That is like a little puppy dog. Why would you use the same name for those two things? Like, you know, uh, Cerberus and a puppy. They have two different names because of the diff- vastly different qualities of both of those uh, canines. You shouldn't refer to a puppy as Cerberus. They're so antisocial. <laughs> <laughs> That's what... COVID! <laughs> That's- it's the COVID. Cast your mind back. To early 2020. Remember the fear. Remember the yeah, loathing. Yeah, a, Remember the terror. Just, it's flashbacks and, to Nam. And use that to get the booster. Yeah. I think I saw something pass by my flashback browser Nam, yeah. this week. Like some new variant could be, you know, could rear its head. Could it do, could do stuff. Could be as bad as some as shit like that. Something. Speed of science. It's like science is whatever. I'm and moving it, it, at the speed of science here. It, at every level, it's whatever. You know, Putin's schooling people on some basic economics in his speeches, hoping that at least the global south is, can hear him. You know, um, Here, but the, the, when the basics are so abused at every in every sector in every field, that's what you're, you're talking to. You can't even talk to these people. Like, you know, price cap will cause chaos. You mm. yourself will be hurt by it. Let's do it. Yeah. And then afterwards, it's like, well, that's interesting. We did that, and it had a boomerang effect on us. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? We learned something. This was a that learning was, experience. You can we, imagine Kamala Harris going up. That was entirely lear- foreseeable, you mean? It was a learning experience for something that was entirely foreseeable. Like, let's walk in front of that bus just to have the learning experience of what happens when a bus moving at a high rate of speed comes in contact with a human body. Boom. Now as the person's lying mangled on the ground. Wasn't that a nice learning experience? Aren't you glad you went through that experience? Because there's no way you could have known 
that that boss was going to mangle you before it actually mangled you. And that's how reality works. Yeah. Now, come over to this cliff. Let's see if we can fly. Um, oh, we can't fly. Well, there's no way we could have known that beforehand. Uh, there's just a, a paper here. I'll just leave it almost without comment. Uh, it came out start this month. Uh, it was published start this month, and it's been published, accepted 27th of September 2022. Um, it's from the Institute of Pathology, called uh, George, Jorg, George, whatever, Schmori, um, in the Municipal Hospital in Dresden, Dresden, Friedrichstadt, uh, in Dresden, basically. Uh, um, so, been approved, all that kind of stuff, uh, abstract. Well, the title of it is a case report, Multifocal Necrotizing Encephalitis and Myocarditis after BNT162B2 mRNA vaccine against COVID-19. That's uh, basically the Pfizer vaccine or the mRNA vaccine against COVID uh, case report. And yeah, it basically was just, again, one person did an autopsy because this very seldom happens where they actually do an autopsy on a person um, who has died officially, well... In this case, they did an autopsy on a person who had died. Um, he had Parkinson's disease. But when they did an autopsy, they found that, you know, various different things that were not, let's say, necessarily consistent with Parkinson's disease. And also the fact that he had no, um, I think they said he had, um, anyway, I'll read, I'll read a bit of the abstract here. Yeah, so there was no history of COVID-19 for this patient. Um uh, his immunohistochemistry for SARS-CoV-2 antigens was performed. Uh, that's there was no so they found so they found no history of COVID-19 like an infection by the actual virus. Surprisingly, only the spike protein, but no nucleocapsid protein could be detected within the foci of inflammation in both the brain and the heart, particularly particularly in the endothelial cells of small blood vessels, since no nucleocapsid protein could be detected, the presence of spike protein must be ascribed to vaccination rather than to viral infection. The findings, cor- the findings corroborate previous reports of encephalitis and myocarditis caused by gene-based COVID-19 vaccines. Notice gene-based COVID-19 vaccines. So, uh, yeah, the b- bottom line is did a, uh, an autopsy on a guy, a 76-year-old man with Parkinson's disease and found he has no history, so he had no medical history and no actual how do they describe it, um, immunohistochemistry. So they, they basically looked and, and they found, they explained it there basically in what I just said, but that the, 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 I suppose the biopsies and they were able to determine that he did not, he was not infected with a virus uh, because, but they did find the spike protein um, in his brain and in his heart, which means that he can only have had it from, got it from the vaccine which means that the spike protein, which is basically a toxin, uh, may have, I don't, say, I don't know if they say specifically in the report, but that it may have contributed to his death, uh, specifically via uh, necrotizing encephalitis and myocarditis. Basically, he had both of those. He had necrotizing encephalitis and myocarditis, and they found spike protein in his heart and in his brain. They, I don't know, they probably don't go as far as to actually make a connection between the two, but it's circumstantial. It's, so it's the, curious. So the vaccine killed one old dude who was probably white anyway. Mm. It saved millions of lives. Mm. Mm. Millions. Yeah. Millions. So they tell me. Um, 
because people never died before from seasonal viruses. Old, old, older people with multiple, uh, multiple. Someone asked how old was the patient? I think I said it was, was seventy six. Again, this is this is something that's hardly ever done, and they do they don't do this because this would actually if they did this on on a lot of people, obviously it's quite labour intensive and stuff. But if you did a lot more uh, actual autopsies on people who you know have fit a profile for possibly well certainly have had the vaccine, let's say uh, you might find this all over the place, mm. and you might start to draw car- uh, you know draw conclusions, let's say from about uh, the possible negative effect of. Uh, as they call it, gene-based COVID-19 vaccines. So the good news is Pfizer's coming out with a new vaccine that prevents myocarditis. Right. So you just... Get one to prevent the other. You get a twofer. When you go for your COVID jab, you get the myocarditis one at the same time. Right. Using mRNA technology. But that's that's, that's entirely in keeping with the pharmaceutical industry and the way that they operate uh, in terms of for pills up until now, which is basically here's a pill for your condition uh, it'll just mask the symptoms probably but here's a pill for your condition oh and take this one for to the mask effects. the symptoms of yeah. the pill of the first one yeah, yeah. so uh, it's not surprising to do that with vaccines as well the thing is it's not always like that no this is everything. the horrible mess of it all if it was that's a simple heuristic you know we could all just safely and then I suppose there wouldn't be a plausible basis for the censors to crack down on because you're saying you're anti-science because you're going to throw the whole baby out of the bathwater and suggest that all vaccines are bad or no. that all big pharma products are bad. That's not, that's not actually the case. The horrible thing is that in specific directions, money-making directions yeah. usually, that's when the science is most corrupted yeah, and but, most likely to do harms. You know? I mean – that's, that's like a straw man argument. Like as soon as you say something about a certain... Like about one thing. One thing, that means... You're, oh, oh, you're anti-vax. You're, well, or you're anti, uh, anti-medicine. You don't, you're anti-allopathic medicine. You're anti-science. Anti-science, everything. It's like, no. It's like, if there's one particular... I mean, has there never been a case where, where a certain medication produced by a pharmaceutical company had a, had a negative result and uh, had to be withdrawn? Has that never happened before? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, once or twice anyway. And uh, so maybe this is, am I not allowed to say maybe that's the case in this one? Maybe we should be careful in this one since there's new technology, never been rolled out in vast numbers of people before. And in fact, in this particular case of, of vac- vaccines, the proper clinical trial period has, 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 was, been sh- was shortened down to like 2% of the normal. And the actual clinical trial is being conducted live on a billion people. Should, would that be... That cause for caution and maybe just a word of caution or maybe raising my hand and saying maybe don't take four of these a year. (laughs) This episode of Newsreel was brought to you by Pfizer. Pfizer. Yes. Okay. We're at the two-hour mark. Anything else? No. Uh, No. I'm moving at the speed of science here, so no. Any comments on British politics? Up the ra. <laughs> Ooh, ah, up the ra. ra. Um, up the two Alexes ra. at the Duran reckon a coup is on the way, of sorts. A coup of what? To force out uh, Truss. Oh yeah, well, a month that'd in. be hard. That's a joke. And she, to force the general election, that would bring Keir Starmer to power. Why? Because he will deliver the population control the deep state demands. Do you know? Not bad. Theory. Do you know in the Second World War? Sure. Yeah. The Second World War, when um, just before we finish, Second World War, um, America financed the warring parties. In some cases, both sides, but 
actually documented both sides, but certainly the allies mm-hmm. in Europe, European <coughs> allies in World War, America, loads of equipment, Bush. equipment yeah. weaponry and money. End result, most, a lot of European economies bankrupt and in massive debt to America for the next decades and decades. In fact, Germany, I think 2011, they stopped paying off their debt from World War II back to America. Mm-hmm. So as a result of World War II and America's essential financing of World War II for Europe and then having be, being in debt pl- uh, economically, obviously, and politically to America. America had a pretty good time of it, right, and rose to prominence in that period from the Second World War until today. Um, is there any difference in, is there much of a difference in what they're doing today? America's, is the dynamic pretty much the same? Yeah. Because you're so. seeing Europe kind of effectively in the process of being bankrupted, at least from an energetic point of view, and America benefiting. Are, are Europeans doing exactly this, more or less the same thing in the same dynamic as European countries were in World War II? Except this time we're not fighting any Nazis. We're fighting for the Nazis. Yeah. There's a, there are a few differences, but few. there's an underlying dynamic that's going the same way. Hundred percent. We don't learn from history. It's yet. nuts. It's is it planned that way, or it might just be a, a function of the type of history repeats. Well, I was going to say the type of class oh. uh, ruling in the United States. Stupid people repeat. Well, they're not stupid. They're cunning. Psychos repeat. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, but uh, the Russians, the Russians know. That's why the everything is. As much as I say Putin talks about values and that's why we're doing it, he probably also has <clears throat> this kind of global mm. picture in mind mm-hmm. as to why, no, no, not again, yeah. not this time. Yeah. But that's too bad for Western Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, Liz Truss, the only thing I'm going to say about Liz Truss is that Liz Truss is like the stupidest woman in England. No, she's not probably the, the stupidest woman, but Liz Truss was picked because the, the Conservatives are the the establishment in the UK always picks a prime minister who is very compliant, very malleable, very controllable, basically. In the same way, there's a, there's a deep state slash Washington establishment in the US. There's a career bureaucrats who really run the show, domestic and foreign policy in the UK. And they pick the, the most pliable, malleable person in, in to, to be prime minister. Uh, they picked a real doozy this time. So it may not be tenable for her to actually stay, I think, because she's because she, she has no mind of her own, basically. It's, it's people around her making decisions and she's, she's not re- <laughs> in the times today don't worry Liz Truss is still in charge because everybody thinks she's not in charge anymore mm-hmm. she never was mm-hmm. she's only been there so yeah. it could be like the fourth uh, one two Boris Truss third we could have a third prime minister May was well, she this year not this year though May was 20 no it was last year so three prime, prime ministers but there's been four chance- chancellors already in the last six weeks as i.e. Uh, economics minister, let's say, economy uh, minister. I think it may actually have been that she tried to strike out something that they didn't like, something independent. Because her mini-budget plan, you notice that Quarteng was the target of that, her, her chancellor. She didn't make it. And he was sacked while he was in Washington, mm-hmm. away. And what happened was the Duran guys explained it. The, the Bank of England put out statements basically completely undermining his budget idea, which was to slash taxes across the board. That's a kind of a Thatcherite mm-hmm. attempt to give the economy a boost. And mm-hmm. this idea is that she thought she was doing 
what master wants because that's the way the mm -hmm. pattern has been always liberalized you know mm -hmm. uh, get cap give capitalism a boost this is the british slash american way isn't it no no not anymore mm. now it's like Squeeze biden even biden need uh commented as well you know slashing slashing the tax rate no what are you doing you can't do that so he piped up too apparently she was not clued in to no the agenda is the opposite do not freeing anyone from any taxes right. or keeping taxes locked in uh, there's no plan to lift the economy. What actually they, they want was, it where it is. But what, what depressed. The, but what actually happened was she only she only got rid of the forty five percent tax. tax it, it was uh, watered rate for, down. For, yeah, for was, the for the big earners, like so, it was seen as a sop to the the rich. Basically, cut taxes for them, the forty five percent tax rate, and not for anybody else. I don't know, and I didn't hear at least officially or publicly anything about tax tax breaks across the board for everybody. It was just for the elite and. Um, but even that was a problem because it was unfinanced. Where are you going to get the money from that, that's missing because of these taxes right. you're, going to, you're going to cut? Where, where's the money coming from? She didn't have anywhere. But again, she seems to have been totally on the side of all this. You know what I mean? She's just taking the hit for it. And she's like, I don't know what was happening. Yeah. People were telling me to do stuff. And I said, OK. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But I just love the way that the Bank of England mm. has steps in twice. Well, yeah. I, the whole... There's a whole load of Western history packed into this, this little episode. The Bank of England was the first central bank. And one of the core premises of it is that it's not, it must be politically independent, in quotes, from the government at all times. It created this after the Glorious Revolution, 16, whatever it was, 17th century. And it was the first, and every other one that's since then been modeled on that. And that's a core tenet of a properly functioning country, usually a democracy, right? that they're politically independent. So no matter who comes in and buys the power, they don't just get to completely change the trajectory and the, especially the, the control of money and the stable, uh, smart management mm -hmm. the, for the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. But then this, <laughs> this nominally independent thing intervenes politically using finance talk mm. in a way that collapses yeah. the government. Almost. Almost. Probably going to. We'll see. Chancellor's gone. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's all gone wrong, Inspector, because the old way of doing things is, is it, it's not working as well as it used to, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, There's a new paradigm. We're in the end game. Yeah. It's all bets are off. We're, cha we're shaking it up. We've got to prepare for hard times ahead. Winter's coming. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, I think we'll leave it the rest of this week, folks. Um, we've been on for more than two hours at this point, and I'm sure you've had enough, because we have, uh, of dealing with this madness. But we'll be back next week with another one on whatever madness has been going on between now and then. So thanks for watching, listening. Thanks for commenting. Don't forget to smash all the like buttons. And yeah, have a good one, and see you next time. Thanks Bye. for watching. See you. Can't stop the signal now.